Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Our First Lady and Friends guest today is Michelle Loveday. She's an educator. She is the founder of Rise Virtual Academy and Loveday Education Consulting. And we're excited to have her here today. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends uh, podcast. We have today um, a new friend to me in the last few months, and I've gotten to know her, just been crazy impressed with with her talent, her, her way of communicating, and especially we connect through the education space. So welcome the one and only Michelle Loveday. Oh, thank you. It's so great to be here with you. I thank am you for so happy you made the time to be here with us. I know you're very busy. Um and again, we connect on a lot of levels, and you've taught me a lot in the last little while about education and, and many other topics. Um, so I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit. I don't know that there's, um, you know, you you are big in the education space, but I, and I think people know you from that. But let's talk about your background. Where did you grow yeah. up? Um, how did you get here to Utah? Tell me a little bit about your family and, and, and all that stuff. Yes. So I'm not from Utah. I moved here in 2005 after meeting my now husband. So I grew up in uh, Lorain, Ohio. It's outside of greater Cleveland area, about 20 minutes, and uh, grew up in what is called the International City of Lorraine. So I grew up around culture and people and just all different sorts of food and people being uh, enveloped in their culture, which was amazing. Our international festival had wonderful foods right off of Lake Erie. So we had wonderful spring and summer days, but horrible, horrible winters, <laughs> like the bitter cold that you just, you think if you've been in winter, but you have not experienced until you've experienced a Midwest Lake Erie winter. I do have to say we were in Cleveland recently, actually. Uh, Spencer and I took our son back mm -hmm. and did a little senior trip and we were flying out of Cleveland and the night before we left, we were at this, it was a sushi place that everyone says you have to eat at the sushi place. Mm -hmm. It was so great. And they, and the, the waitress was like, so what, what brings you to Cleveland? And we're like, oh, just a little vacation. And she's like, but why? <laughs> I know. And it's, it's one of those things. And, you know, a lot of times they would always call it so many different things. But Cleveland is thriving. And I'm always like, Drew Carey even said Cleveland rocks. So yeah. I'm proud of my hometown and I love it. And it's a great place. growing up, I'm kind of biased because I grew up with season passes to Cedar Point, which is the America roller coast. And so when I moved here to Lagoon and my husband's like, do you want to go to Lagoon? I'm like, what is this? And it's the same price as Cedar Point where you have rides that will make your stomach drop to your feet. They're just absolutely fantastic. So Cedar Point is like my grow up just dropped off um, with my friends and then my parents would pick us up. We'd spend all day there. And so growing up in Lorraine was wonderful. You either had parents that worked at the U.S. Steel Factory or the Ford plant or they were educators and worked, you know, inside or outside of um, Cleveland. 
And so we were really proud to be a Ford town. And now looking at the town, my parents still live there. I still have family living there. U.S. Steel has left. Ford has left. And there's just just a stretches of just hundreds of yards of empty, empty um, building spaces. Wow. And so it's really devastating to see, I think, time and like right when I moved out here in 2005, we called it like the second kind of wave of like what would happen comparing it, our town to D- Detroit. So we went from three high schools when I grow, grew up, three high schools in a pretty large school system to one. Um, and so growing up, it just you had a sense of pride in your culture and just who you are and, and your family. And my father is also an, an educator. He's retired. He's an administrator. He was a health teacher, um, PE teacher, and then he became a principal. And then he was uh, the athletic director for our school system. So I was always able to be around and watch him navigate, grew up at games and hanging out under the bleachers and playing with friends while my dad worked. And my mom um, was a social worker. So there were many times where I'd watch her. And so that's why in the show up campaign, it just rang true because she would place children. And there were times when she would get phone calls and have children that have maybe run away from the home. And I remember one time specifically, I came downstairs and there was a young boy sleeping on our pullout couch because he had run away and my mom had got gotten to get him. And so she placed him there until she could put him in a safe place and home. And so that always, you know, the service part of education always touched me in that way because I knew that children struggle with so many different things at such a young age. And so that stuck out to me. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be a teacher growing up pretty early on, probably, you know, fourth grade, aside from wanting to be you know a track star. So this upcoming Olympics, I am like full in watching everything. I'm My husband is just probably already sick of me because I'm like, look at her start. Look how she does it. Keep her head down. Um, and so, so you were, were you a sprinter? I were was you a sprinter. A, okay. And so, so these girls, they're amazing me. Um, they're yeah. running at two seconds faster than I am, which two seconds is a lot. Uh-huh. Running it in like 10.43 seconds. And I'm like, I ran that in like 12.21. So well, that's still really <laughs> impressive to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very slow compared to them. I wouldn't even have made it to the trials. So um, sports and music and all those things were are you know they are really um, important and growing up and church was super important. I don't think I missed a Sunday going to church or a Wednesday night activity. Um, very important in my family growing up. And so after I decided, I'm like I cannot stand the winters here. I'm sorry, mom, dad. I I just love you so much, but when it's time to look for a job. I've got to go. And so as I was finishing up in college, I went to Bowling Green State University in Ohio and um, got my my master's there in reading. And I had run track and had a great time um, doing that. Traveled abroad for my minor um, in Spain and lived there for a semester. And so as the job fair came around, I only specifically looked for southern states to apply for. Like, didn't even <laughs> put my application <laughs> anywhere close to home. My mom's like, are you sure? Absolutely. I'm going to the warmth. And so I lived in North Carolina um, and started my teaching career there and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then I went on vacation to Las Vegas for a sorority convention. I'm in Delta Sigma Theta sorority. It's a historically black Greek letter organization. My mom's in it. My grandmother was in it. Um, and you've seen the the hype around it, for lack yeah. of a better term, because our first lady of the United States, or, well, not our first lady, the vice president oh, yeah. is an AKA. Okay. So that's the sister sorority, I guess you would say, for lack of, they were the first organization, Black Greek organization, and then Delta Sigma Theta came 
after them in 1913. And our organization, uh, Delta Sigma Theta, was the first to walk in the Women's Suffrage March in 1913. So it's wow. it's one of those organizations where it's not just college. And so I went to a convention in 2004 to Las Vegas where my husband was working at the time. And we met and we talked for a little bit exchanged phone numbers. I thought, oh, I'm not going to see this guy again. And then he called the next day. We went out to lunch and hung out with friends. And then I went back to North Carolina and he never stopped calling me <laughs> every day for four months. And I thought, this guy, he, I thought he was going to like disappear off. I'd go on different dates and he'd still be calling me. So I love that. I'm like, okay, maybe he should come visit. So he came out to visit probably four months later. And after seeing him, and this is before social media, so I kind of forgot what he looked like. I had one grainy picture that I'd taken in the, you know, the dark and he got off the plane and I thought, oh, this is amazing. He's so cute. This is perfect. And talking for four months, you really get to know somebody. You really get to know them. Um, And, you know, being 26, 27 at the time, you know, you know what you know and what you want. And so came out to visit Utah that following February and loved the mountains because he was here. Yes. So my husband is actually from Wyoming. Uh, He's a farm boy, Star Valley, uh, Smoot, Wyoming. I know exactly where it is. (laughs) I actually have a sister that lives in Star Valley right this minute. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And his his parents are still there. He's got aunts and uncles and a sister that still lives there. So Utah and Salt Lake City is the big city when you move away from Wyoming, right? (laughs) That's the the logical next big city um, in in a way, by way of his travels. And so... He was living out here uh, working for Hewlett Packard at the time. So I came out to visit, loved the mountains. And so I came back a second time and I thought, okay, I'm going to say a prayer. I cannot do these bachelor type dates, bachelor type dates and not get to know him. And uh, applied for some jobs and had some interviews here and there. And by the end of the week, I had seven job offers. Wow. So I thought, okay, well, I'm supposed to be here for a reason. And so I moved out here the summer of 2005. We were engaged in the fall of 2005 and then married in that following February. And so we've been here ever since together. We have five children um, and they're just the fab five is what I call them. And they're amazing. Uh, Our oldest daughter, she's 21. So we're a blended family as well. I'm a bonus mom. I had my children when they were three, three and four. Okay. Is when when they came into my life, and so they're my children, um, and they now are twenty one. She's married and has a husband in the uh, is it the Air Force in service? I can't remember mm. if it's Air Force. Yeah, I think it is. And then the twins. One lives in New York, and one's in Florida. And then we have a twelve year old and an eight year old. And so we live mm. here in Utah. We have chickens that we lovingly call the Hip Hop Coop, <laughs> and they have all fun kinds of names. You know, from Shakira to Queen Chakifa to all the, all those names that we can think of um, related to anything hip hop, and we just live and and work and and have a wonderful time. So that's it's a little incredible. bit about me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. So so tell me a little bit about your husband's. You said you he was a farm family in Star Valley, which I think is probably most people in Star Valley. Yeah, they um, were. Um, they were cattle. They raised okay. cattle. And so they had a brand and they have a brand for, for the cattle and everything. Mm-hmm. And we have it hanging up 
um, on our wall with the backwards thing that they would brand the yeah. poor cows with, I guess. I shouldn't <laughs> I, say I poor, know that. but I'm like, oh. So that, you know, that brand is there in the family. And so he um, was adopted when he was six. Okay. So um, moving into the family and learning the farm life, uh, they still live on the farm, but just kind of rent out the space now and have horses for people that need land and, okay. and whatnot. Um and his uncle kind of runs the rest of the land that's out there. So parents are still there. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. But for me coming from Cleveland and then you've got the city girl and the farm boy uh, and coming together and just all the ideas that we have, we've I think we've found a happy medium. Um, I grew up learning how to garden and you know, with my dad, he was a sharecropper. So I knew, you know, what it takes to take care of land and what that looks like. Um, but never on the level that my husband and his family have done it with the cattle. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's an issue. You know, I grew up on a 600 acre ranch in, yeah. in Mount Pleasant. So I, I get it. I understand the brand. I understand everything. Tell me a little bit more about you. You mentioned your dad was a sharecropper. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about your family history yeah. there. Yeah. I think, you know, with being, um, Looking at people's ancestry, my dad is really big on doing lineage and history. And being uh, African-American, sometimes that gets lost with family that come over. And so I think I have a great privilege of knowing a lot of where I come from on both sides of my family. Um, And with my dad being a sharecropper, he grew up in Mississippi and, um, you know, worked. and, And I remember my grandmother, especially, she's since passed away now about uh, seven years, eight years ago. But I remember talking to her. I recorded uh, something for her for a class. And I remember interviewing her, and she has my dad's hands. Now, my dad's hands are huge. He can juggle three basketballs. Wow. And he, he could. I have a picture of him juggling three basketballs in the middle of a game. And so she has hands like that. And she said with such pride that made me feel kind of sad that she said these hands picked the most and the most cotton and picked it the fastest. Mm. And it just struck me because I knew it wasn't something that she was doing all for herself, that that she owned that. And so with my dad doing that, a lot of times he talked about growing up and being the water boy because he was too small at some point. But then once he got big enough to uh, pick cotton, then he would do that after school. My grandmother only had a third grade education, but could quote the Bible like nobody's business. <laughs> so I never doubt, you know, when something moves and calls you to do something that you'll be able to read something that you need to have in your life. Um, but it was difficult. And so having that perspective of growing up with instilled in, in me and conversations, my dad taught me a lot about the respect you give and the respect that's given back, despite mm-hmm. how people treat you. Um, and so when Emmett Till was hung, he was around the same age as my dad, about 12, 13. Wow. And so my grandmother, with her nine children, had decided, I can't raise my children here. This is too dangerous. And so she moved my family, my dad's family, and siblings to Ohio. And when he got there, um, one of the Teachers decided that because he was from the South and he had an accent and played the harmonica and he had been a sharecropper, he should go back a grade. Oh. And so my dad remembers that. But again, it was one educator. It always takes that one adult in children's lives 
to change how that one caring adult. that one caring adult yep. everyone needs a champion and so there was one in my dad's life that saw him and was like why are you down a grade one you're huge right like you definitely don't look like a junior high kid with this full-on beard and you're like six four <laughs> so yeah. this is not gonna work <laughs> let's yeah. move you back up and got my dad onto the onto the track of playing football and my dad went to college at the miami of ohio to play football so he's um the only sibling that has gone to college there. And so education was instilled in me because of that. He knows the importance of what education and college can do. So it wasn't if you go to college, it was when. And then with my mom's side of the family, it was one of those things of um, we knew that we were descendants of a runaway slave and we knew that we had fire in us and we were not going to take things as is. And we have that great lineage. So we always talk about family and family reunions are big for us. Mm. So. That's incredible. Um, this is just so fun to learn about about your history and, and your family. Um, I also know that you and I think our listeners can feel that through the through the microphone. You are a powerful leader. Thank and you. I want to talk a little bit more about your leadership and your uh, your business and, and promoting leadership. And so we will continue this conversation. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We are back with Michelle Loveday, my new friend, my newish friend. Yes. <laughs> um, we want to talk about this leadership. You started a consulting company. Tell me a little bit about it, what it does, um, and sort of your leadership style and the things you, that you're you're talking about through yeah. this this business. So I've been in education for 20 years now. Um, and it's one of those things that you look at the need that's being there and that's not being addressed all the time. And so I started developing this idea of I need to empower parents to advocate for their children, specifically, you know, parents of color to advocate for their children and, and what that looks like. And so I was just racking around in my brain, what could I do and how could I start this? And it was it was hard. So in 2017, I opened up the LLC, you know, signed the forms and did all the paperwork. And then I sat there with it and I thought, well, what can I do? Because I'm working full time and I don't want to. And you were working the, as as a pr- as a principal. A principal at and that then time. I, at the okay. time, yeah, I was a principal. Okay. I had been a principal now for at that time for five years. And then I was moving to the district office. Um, And so I'm like, well, I can't compete, you know, for lack of a better term with it, but I know it can be done, but you have to be very careful so that, you know, things don't cross. Um, And so I hesitated for a while. And then around 2018, I would take my lunch break and like sign parents up to consult with them, you know, brown bag lunch discussions and trying to be creative. So I wasn't 
stepping on my own toes in in the process and how I could help parents. I would work on Saturdays and consult with parents there and take phone calls. But then it started overlapping because some of the parents lived in the district that I was working. So I'm like, okay, well, that's for free. That's for free because <laughs> so I'm doing all because this is what teachers do. Yes, we work for free all the time yes. because, again, I didn't want to damage yeah. anything that I'd already started. Um and so I kept thinking, okay, my goal, because I hadn't stopped working, even through being pregnant and working, I was a principal, and I remember one time somebody said, so are you going to be done working now? And I was like, at this point, no, this is the fifth child. Like, let's just get through I this so I can do be, this. <laughs> just, let's just have the baby and somebody will sub for me and I'll come back. And, yeah. um, and I said, well, no, because now I can retire probably at 55. So I have, I have about... 12 years left and then I can be an awesome grandma but I also know there's the insurance piece that I want to be able to afford and so as I started thinking about leadership and then women owning business and how it's not something that we typically do and and looking at the, at the statistics of that I thought well what legacy do I want to leave my my children I have four daughters and one boy and so I'm like what can I build for them um, and so I started doing things here and there on the weekends and building the website um, in the skeleton form that it's in. And then I switched school districts um, and COVID hit <laughs> and we we're all at home. And so with that, I was able to see a different f- future for what I could do in my consulting. Oh, I could Zoom. I could <laughs> get online and and have different platforms and social media had opened up a whole new um, realm. So with Love Day Educational Consulting, not only do I look at, you know, encouraging parents to advocate for their children, but also talking to companies and uh, other schools and private schools and charter schools on what it means to be culturally responsive and what it means to include all students in your schools and how um, we need to make sure that we address any bias that we have when we're working with students that look different than us and families that look different than us, right? Um, There's a certain unknown and and you even said it and that's when I was like, oh, she's my new best friend because you said proximity is the important thing when it comes to getting to know people, right? You can't get to know a group of people or a culture just by watching it on TV, right? You have to get to know them and and talk to them. And so I wanted to build that within schools. Um, And so the leverage and the support of my school district, I have days that I just take vacation days or hours if I need to go and do a consulting piece. Um, And it's it's definitely grown and it's been a a great um, resource for the community. Um, and it's helped me grow professionally. I think I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I like to be productive. And so any downtime, you know, where most people would be like, okay, I'm just going to sit and maybe pull up something on Hulu. I'm like, don't want to do that. I can maybe watch some Hulu as I'm creating something or as I'm developing. And I, I love public speaking. I love sharing what I've learned. And, you know, when you sit through all these conferences as an educator, what better way than to just, recreate to reshare um and so that's what i found has been the best success well and your leadership style is so unique in that you you just have this warmth and this connectiveness um that that i think is really powerful is there you know what are some of those leadership principles that you that you really that you really teach or advocate for well i think for me especially one it's something that people may not always see 
but I like my daughters are always like, can we listen to, you know, hits one on the radio? I'm like, no, we're going to work. And on the way I turn on K-Love. So secretly for me, I'm always like, you need Jesus in your life. And and so that's everybody <laughs> needs Jesus at some point. So and I need it so I can get through the day. But I think secretly for me, I have that light in my leadership where I am carrying like, OK, I know at some point Jesus did flip tables, but it wasn't all the time. And he was always teaching. And so what can I do to carry that? through. But also, unfortunately, I've had a few bad leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I've watched what they didn't do and how their actions didn't match what they wanted to be accomplished. And so I took note of that. And um, I always said as a teacher, I don't I would never want to be like that as a principal. And then when it became time for me to be a principal, there was the chance. Um, And so I'd always say, well, I'm your pal. There's a principal in the principal word. And always the way I know. Always the way. Exactly. (laughs) Please. Yes. P-A-L for those leaders of schools. I'm kind of cringe when I see it sometimes. I'm like, ah, but but I also think, too, everyone has amazing skills and everyone can be a leader. And so going in, you know, when people would always say to me, well, that's why they pay you the big bucks. First of all, that's hilarious because because <laughs> we all know we're educators. Yeah, so. <laughs> as educators, I don't know what big bucks we're getting. But I always say, no, I'm just the dumb one that had two master's degrees. And so I qualify a little bit for this job. But everyone can be a leader. And so I think as I was running my school, as I'm running my business, I look for that in everyone to see um, what we could do together to benefit. I'm always at working together and uplifting people and bringing that out in them, um, which I think is a hard thing to do as a leader. That delegation is is imperative. But I, you know, as I was raising my children and running a school, I didn't have a secretary. Well, I didn't have an assistant principal. I had an, a secretary. I didn't have an assistant principal. And my husband traveled. So I didn't even have like a wife or a husband, you know, half the time. So I'm running a school and I'm running a home, figuring out how to do it. And I had to ask for help. I had to delegate. I had to rely on amazing teachers. Um, And I think that's what helped build me to say, okay, now I can run this company by myself and and what is Love Day Educational Consulting and, and just kind of rely on that. So I always see the light in everyone. Everyone has something to offer I think that is the hallmark of an incredible leader is seeing the potential in others and allowing them to reach that through your mentorship and and your encouragement. So I think that's absolutely beautiful. The first time we met was actually in a group called Rethink Racism. Mm -hmm. And I just want – I don't want to end without talking about the – I guess sort of the journey I went through um, when we when I was a part of that group and we're still part of it right. and, and and still continuing to to learn and grow me personally. Um, and I'm not going to lie and tell you that it was the most comfortable thing I've ever done. Right. It was super uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for, me. for even me. Right. Okay. And I love how yeah. you said that you're still learning and growing because I am, too. I think. When people say, oh, you know, even as a black woman, there's still things I need to learn about myself, about how I see other people, about my own biases Mm -hmm. um, that I'm bringing to the table and and rethinking that every day, checking myself. And I think the uncomfortableness that you and I and other people in the room experienced, I think, is what 
causes us to be able to have the conversations we can have because we can look at each other and be like, oh, we went, okay, we talked about that and we had these, you know, scenarios and what do you think about that? And I think it's the relationships when you're talking about the hard subjects. Um, It can't be shied away from. It has to be discussed. Um, and I'm not one to like be passive aggressive in it. I'm just like, what do you think? And what made you say that? And why did you say that? Um, and, and I'm sorry if I said it myself, you know, and I always have to, to bring that out. I think there's so many opportunities to learn with, you know, with what we went through with rethink racism. And right now, even I've signed up for the YWCA's 21 day, uh, challenge that they have through racism and, um, and race and studying about that. And there's things that I'm reading and learning that I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, race is a social construct. Like it was something that was that was created by people. But the biggest takeaway that I'm always getting is just the the relationships that need to be had and the empathy yeah. we need to have for one another. Um, you know, I always think when somebody like flicks me off in traffic, for example, I, I seem to infuriate people because I'm just driving along happy <laughs> listening to Caleb. So I don't know. And when I turn on my blinker, you know, right, like we all have blind spots and mm-hmm. we just have to work on addressing it. And so I I have a, a car now that when I turn on my blinker and I get ready to get over, beep, 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 beep. I love it. it it's looks, my favorite feature. It's necessary for someone like me because yeah. I put on my blinker, which indicates to you, whoever's looking, that I'm coming. And I'm coming whenever I put my blinker on. <laughs> I'm it's, going, folks. I'm going, so be ready. But the beat, you know, that blink, it, it helps me, oh, check your blind spot. And I think if we do that more and more, we can interact as humans and work together instead of this constant battle and fighting. And it's like, I can't change who I am and how I look. So let's not argue about it. You know, I'm going to argue, obviously, on the side of like anything that's going to not harm me or my family. Um, And so we need to just make sure that we put the blinker on with the sound and check our blind spots and then always look forward as we're doing it, too, to see how we can move and and not flick people off. But when they do, (laughs) I'm always thinking, oh, they must have a bad day. And you you always have to think the best of them or they're just trying to get to the delivery of their, you know, child or somebody just passed away. I always give the benefit of the doubt from for people, you know, the first time. So beautiful. (laughs) I one of my favorite quotes. um, I think it was George W. Bush. I I should look this up, but it was (laughs) it was Yeah, we we always give um, we always assign people the worst of intent or the I'm going to totally mess this up. But we 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 aren't patient with people and and use the worst examples mm-hmm. for other people but give ourselves the best of intentions right you know we we look at our our best intentions yeah. but their worst examples and so i i think that's what you're saying and i think that's so it's so beautiful about what you just said is is some of us are so knee jerk yeah and 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 sort of operating out of fear yeah. and and worried that something somebody's going to 
to hurt us. Like there's some the secret Trojan horse coming out. And yeah. I, we're, you know, and, and we learn that in every relationship we have. And for me personally, it's always with me, my husband and I, we've been married 15 years and it's always like, we're on the same team, right? Like we want to raise these kids to not be like tyrants and to just be at least pretty decent so they can like maybe move out. We're hoping. Just as long as they're not, not in helping. your basement, that they might is going to be at this point. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. That, that might be a success. We'll, co- exactly. we'll count that as a victory. And and together, we might have different viewpoints on how that looks. Yeah. He's from the country. I'm from the city. And so it might look a little different. But the end game is that we are on the same team to raise these children. And it's like that with everyone. Everyone has good intentions to be good people and to be, you know, kind. But they forget that sometimes yeah. when it's like their agenda. Yeah. And so I think we have to like take a pause whenever I trained my teachers and whenever I talk to my staff. It's like these parents, they care about their children. They just don't have what we have. You know, I think our danger of being educators sometimes is everyone thinks they're the expert in our field because they've all gone through school. school. Yes. Right? <laughs> it's, it's the only field that people have experienced, right? Well, Spencer always talks about this with legislators. Yes. They, you know, and it, uh, the frustration for educators is like, you think you're be, you're an expert because you went to school. Because you went to school. But there's a craft to what we do and yeah. there's an art in how we handle things. Um, and and we know that because you went to school, you have some smarts, but you learned it because of teachers like us. Yeah. <laughs> and so we need you to rely on that. And so I always tell my teachers that the parents have the best interest, but we have to pause and not react to them right away. Listen and then help them to understand that we're with them on achieving the same goal. It just yeah. might look a little different. Um, and so it just starts with that empathy, those relationships, those conversations yeah. that are so important. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking of I, I remember going into one of a, a parent teacher conference with one of my boys and going into the teacher. And it's kind of my favorite thing to do is to really sometimes as educators, we get a little because we're so used to sort of the attacks and, mm-hmm. and parents and, you know, and just there's just a lot going on with educators Um and I, I, I love to go into my parent-teacher conference and say, what can I do at home yeah. that will help you here to, to you know, can I, can I discipline him at home if, if something, you know, what is it that yeah. I can do? And, I, and I'm sure they kind of pause like, what? Do, I don't was, know what you're talking about. I thought you were going to be mad. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly the reaction. I get almost this sort of the the wall just almost starts to crumble down mm-hmm. in front of me just watching That's a it. Because very rare question. It, 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 it's it's kind of beautiful because, again, coming from an education background, I'm like seeing I know a little bit of what they're experiencing. And I mm-hmm. and I can say I'm ready to be a team player with you, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. You're the expert. You tell me what to do. Yes. And it, it really does. It, all of a sudden, there's this openness Yes, that I that you don't see when you first walk in the room because they're expecting sort of a, a barrage of of sort of criticism or yeah. or what you're doing yeah. wrong. And, and we're and, on the same team. Yeah. We we want what's best for students, and so uh, teachers are you know they're patient and they want to do what's best, but they want to know that they have that support. Yeah. Um, and so I had one parent, just one final story of she came into my office and she was really upset. Some things had happened and recesses were taken away and there was some, you know, punishment within the classroom. And she said to me, well, you know, my child comes home and tells me everything that happens in that classroom. She's a very truthful child. 
And I looked at her and I said, well, then I would hope that you know she shares everything that happens like at home as well. Because <laughs> she's so truthful. I, and then she looked at me like, oh, okay. Well, touche. What can we do? <laughs> there we go. There we yeah. go. Now we're now to where we're on the same understanding. We're on I, the same page. She I, is very truthful. Seriously, I had a preschool teacher, my kid's preschool teacher that said, I promise not to believe everything that they say about you at home if you promise not to believe everything they say <laughs> that about is fact. me at school. And I'm like, yes, perfect. I love this understanding. But I love what you're talking about in terms of of really connecting on a personal level in order mm-hmm. to see each other as humans, to see each other in a really connected way, and to see each other as as friends and not enemies and, and people that we can connect with, even even if we have differences, it, even, even it's, it's the differences that make us stronger. It's the diversity of our thinking that make us so unique. And so we have to capitalize on that. I think that's why I love the stories. I love people watching. People are so different. And when I was picking up a student, I worked with a lot of refugee families and would help to transfer them from the school that I taught them at and then to their boundary school. And so a lot of times we have to communicate through Google Chat. I had interpreters that would help. But this particular day, it was a mom that spoke Farsi. She knew I was coming at like 8 o'clock to show them how to walk to school on the first day of school. Uh, we speak the same language in mother. Um, because I got there, I heard some fussing behind the door. They opened the door, and I heard the mom fussing at the child. And I could tell because she's pointing. They don't have their shoes on. Their backpack is all over the oh, place. Oh, my goodness. And she's, like, wiping their face and just tisking at them. And I, like... Through those nonverbals, I could tell that she was like, "You, your face is a mess. You didn't wipe off your breakfast. Your shoes aren't on. This lady is here and you're late and you're making her wait. We mom in every language. And I just kind of oh chuckled gosh. and thought, oh, at least my mornings aren't the only one that's like. You are speaking to my heart. Yes. <laughs> we speak the same language just oh, differently. We speak the same mom. I love that so much. Oh, Michelle, this has been such a a really informative and, and a, and a and a moment for me to connect with you in in a thank much more you. personal way and for our listeners to connect with you. And so thank you so much for being it's proximate. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, we, we look forward to all the wonderful things that we're going to do together. I'm excited. Show up. Thank you. <laughs> Michelle's businesses are Love Day Education Consulting and Rise Virtual Academy. You can find her on Twitter at M underscore Love Day E-D and Instagram at m.love underscore day consulting. Thanks for being a friend.